All right, most of y'all know this channel for covering the Warriors, and that'll always be at the heart of what I do, but seeing it as though they're not playing right now, I want to branch out, I want to expand, I want to grow, and I want to cover the rest of the NBA. So what you're listening to or perhaps watching right now is a brand new show called NBA Now, where I am focusing on current NBA storylines, and I'm giving real takes, not hot takes, real takes. Y'all know what type of details and stuff that Alchemy brings up. So you can catch this on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes. It's going to be everywhere. It's, again, it's a podcast, but it's a vodcast. I'm going to give you some visual and some video for those of you that like that as well. So again, opening night. Is, it, is that what we're calling it? Bubble? The opening the bubble? I don't know what you want to call it, but it was the first real meaningful games that we've seen in over four months. And man, it felt good. It felt good, right? Uh, they open up with Meek Mill and the Black Lives Matter as expected. I, I mean, Meek Mill, maybe not expected. And look, man, like, I love me some Meek. I really do. I love for the gym, or you're about to go hoop, whatever the case may be, to give you some energy to get in that mood. That being said, I, I don't know if I necessarily want him speaking and being the voice of this. But, you know, I thought that I thought it was cool. It was pretty powerful. Not really Meek's part, but the players. I liked the players speaking and how they took all their quotes. But, you know, as hard as the TNT and the NBA's production, as, as, as much as they want to try, it still kind of feels disingenuous, at least in my eyes. You know, if you want to keep it real, it's about the money, right? It's about the money. That's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be. And, uh, you know, that being said, I loved it. I loved I loved that it was back. So, you know, whether whether their true intentions are the money that they're losing and why they're out there playing and making these statements or not, I'm going to enjoy it either way. So the first game was the Utah Jazz versus the New Orleans Pelicans. You got Utah sitting in the fourth seed. And I'd normally you say, all right, well, that's kind of important. You want to keep home court. But does it really matter if you're four or five in this bubble? Right. Because it's all on the same court. So, it you know, they could either jump there. They're only a game or two behind Denver. They could jump to three. Right. But I think the real story and all the eyes were on, obviously, the New Orleans Pelicans as they sit on the outside looking in, trying to get into that playoff, that play in game in the playoffs against Memphis and the storyline was Zion has re-entered the bubble not too long ago, just a few days ago, right? So it, we weren't sure if he was going to play, and he played. So that was cool, right? And it was like, all right, well, there the New Orleans are in a situation right now where it's a everything. Every game is almost a playoff game, right? You know, it's must-win situation. So Zion, they roll him out there, and boy, did that boy look big. Did Zion look big, right? I know that was the first thing that stuck out to me, and. I mean, thicker than a snicker doesn't do it justice. Like that boy, he, he's as big as I've ever seen him. And he they they said, look, they said they were going to play him in bursts. We know he's eating in bursts, right? Like the boy, he, he looks big, man. And they played him the first three minutes. It, it's going to be a problem. Like we've speculated, right? When last summer... When, you know, after the draft, summer league, and the weight joke started, and then people were like, you can't fat shame him and stuff like that. Look, it's it's uh, it's all relative. It's perspective. When you're the level of athlete that Zion Williamson is, we're holding you to a different standard. If he was, if, you know what I mean? If he was a UPS driver, you know, I'm, I'm not going to comment on the man's weight. But when you're supposed to be the greatest athlete we've seen since LeBron James, and you finally had a four-month period to get this together, 
The Pelicans were hyping that he's in shape Zion and all this stuff, and he's bigger than ever. It was disappointing, man. And it just leads me to believe that this is officially going to be a problem throughout his career. He's 19, 20 years old. All you have to do is trim down, and he can't seem to do it. He just seems to keep getting bigger. And so that's going to be a problem moving forward. It really is. It really is, man. Um, From Utah's perspective, they came out and looked kind of crispy. Now, mind you, Bojan Bogdanovic has opted out of this. And so when that happened, I think everybody kind of wrote Utah off, right? And probably rightfully so. I think the positive for them was Mike Conley came out looking rejuvenated. He cut his hair. He was looking quick. He was looking healthy. And most importantly, he was knocking down some outside shots. He was knocking down some threes. Now, Joe Ingles takes over for Bogdanovich in the starting lineup. And, you know, if you're a Utah, if you watch Utah and some Utah fans will tell you, well, look, man, he's better in the starting lineup. When they when they took away from his responsibilities and lessened his role this year, it really hurt what he can do. He needs more minutes. He needs to dribble the ball a little more to be effective because you could argue he might be their best pick and roll player. I know that sounds kind of crazy. Mitch is coming along, and and on paper you'd say Conley, but his chemistry with Gobert and, and some of the things playmaking he can make out of pick and rolls, he gives them another option. So I don't think, you know, Bogdanovich out and Ingles in the starting lineup, it may not hurt their starting five. It's just the depth issues, right? Where are they going to get some scoring and some shooting off their bench? They do have Clarkson. I'll talk about him here in a second. But Joe, Joe Jingles was Joe Ingles. He was in midseason form when it comes to his flopping and his his kind of Australian antics. Not trying to offend anybody, but let's be real. You, you look at Bogut. You look at uh, what, what's the kid that was in Cleveland that was all up on Steph's jock. Uh, I forget his name, but you look at it the way they, they, they tend to lean on you and get away with some stuff or try to. And what I noticed was the whistles early, a lot of moving screens and stuff. And some of that's timing and speed. Right. But it got me to thinking, like, because of this quiet atmosphere, are players like Joe Ingles going to get away with less? Because, again, the crowd, it's quiet. So it's it seems like you're able to concentrate more if you're a ref and see what's happening. But more importantly, there's no crowd to influence your call, right? If you're in Utah and it's ruckus, you're, you're just, it's just human nature. You're less likely to call some of the cheap stuff on, on Ingles, right? Where in a quiet arena with no crowd influence, I think the refs are going to kind of be more objective with their calls. And we saw that early on in this Utah game where there was a lot of screens and a lot of fouls called early. Now, I thought the Pels lacked a sense of urgency early on. You look, you know, you look at it and you're like, all right, every game is a must win for them, essentially. Where Utah, they're, you know, I'm sure every team wants to play well in these eight games, but let's be real here. A lot of these games mean a lot more to some of these teams than others. And so it was just weird to see the Pels come out with kind of, a, a you know, not, an, not enough urgency, right? And so the Jazz go on like a 10-0 run there, and there's a timeout. And out of the timeout comes B.I., Brandon Ingram, and he starts getting busy. He starts cooking, right? So much so, you got KD tweeting out like, yo, number 14 different, right? It, for those of you following along, that's taking a little shot at, uh, what's her name? Oh, shit, now I'm nervous. I better know her name. name. What is it? Ariel... Ariel something, Ariel Powers or something like that. Anyway, the, the Andre tweet, I'm not even going to get into that. You know, sometimes you got to just take a compliment. But anyway, 
Brandon Ingram comes out of the timeout and he's just like become he's just going ISO God mode and just getting buckets and brings them back very quickly. And you know, KD has always been the natural comparison to Ingram because of their built. I got a I got a a unique comp for Brandon Ingram and what I'm seeing him develop into. Paul Pierce. Now, you probably say, "Wait, out, man, like they're built completely different. Like you, you know, it's like don't get me wrong. It may not look the same. Their builds are different, right? But the pace, the rhythm, his pump fakes, the way he draws contact. Ingram plays very physical for how skinny he is. Um, it kind of reminds me of Paul Pierce, like in the mid range, their mid range elbow game and their pull up game. Obviously, uh, Ingram I think has the higher release. Like it's aesthetically. You know, their mechanics are different, but their rhythm, their pace, and the way they get it done, he kind of reminds me of Paul Pierce in that mid-range game. So he he pulls him back quickly. Now, the other story for the Pelicans is we were all crossing our fingers for skinny Zion, but what we got was skinny J.J. Redick. And he went off, man. He Like, you could make the argument that J.J. Redick was the best Pelican player last night. What do you have? 20... 21 points in 26 minutes. And he's he's it, it's a double-edged sword. You kind of you hold your breath every time he dribble drives because they're running him off that three-point line, but you can tell he's feeling like you know spunky, he's feeling extra rambunctious, he's trim, he's fresh. And so he was getting to the cup and he was hitting, you know, hitting his his those drifting, curling jumpers and stuff like that. And Stan Van Gundy was calling the game and he looked. I understand he had him in Orlando, but when he called him the best conditioned athlete in the league, <laughs> it, that shit was so offensive. It was it was borderline racist. Like like I like like I like Reddick. I understand he runs around screens fast, but to call him the best conditioned athlete in the league, like I get it, Stan. He's your guy. You had him in Orlando. He was he was one of your rooks, right? Second quarter, Jordan Clarkson comes in the game, and starts just eating Josh Hart alive, right? Like he's just eating them alive, man. The, the former Laker. He looked, did he get bigger? It was one of the maybe it's maybe he's gotten leaner and it's the long hair or something, but Clarkson just looks like a bigger player than I remember him being, but he he's I think he has maybe six man of the year potential ahead of him. If he can continue to be this this gunner, he could be the new Lou Will. So the thing is, with Bogdanovich out, you say, all right, they're deaf. And I thought they might go the other way with it and try to just slow the pace down. They don't have the shooting. But Quinn Snyder's like, yo, we want to play faster. We want to play faster. But the thing is, does that really fit Utah's personnel? Like, Gobert certainly doesn't want to play fast. Ingles doesn't want to play fast. Outside of Mitchell and Clarkson, I don't know if they necessarily have the personnel to play fast. And it played right into the Pelicans' hands in that second quarter. And they took a double-digit lead into the half. And you're like, all right, well, you know, the Pels need this game. This is what should be happening. You felt like this is what kind of should be happening. Third quarter, Utah comes out and goes to work. They go to work. You know, it, it seems like Quinn did a good job motivating them at halftime, let's just say. Here's the thing with Donovan Mitchell. He's come a long way with his pace and kind of changing speeds and 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 controlling that that nuclear athleticism that he has but 
One thing that I think he needs to understand is with Gobert, they always try to get Gobert a very early touch, right? But then he gets forgotten about. And and to some extent, I understand with his his suspect hands and some of the stuff he does, it's it's got to be frustrating to be his teammate. I understand some of that. But Mitchell needs to f- go to Gobert early and often so it opens things up for him late. And it seems like Mitchell almost does the opposite. It's like, he goes to Gobert after the things have bogged down for him. And, you know, a true point guard, I know he's not a true point guard, but a veteran guard understands, let me feed my big and that'll open things up for me later. And I don't, and Mitchell, I think, has a hard time doing that again, their relationship. I don't know. And then the other thing is, again, he's gotten, Mitt Donovan's gotten a lot better in pick and rolls, but he takes such long strides. He loves that throw ahead to space dribble that you see Oladipo use, right? But when you do that, it really limits what you can do coming off screens. But that little machine gun dribble and taking little chop steps and stuff like that, that allows you to extend and make reads and kind of be more, uh, what's the word, diverse in your attack coming off screens. It allows you to improvise easier. When you take a long lunging stride off the screen, you're kind of, he's kind of committed to what he's going to do. He's got a launch in the air or, you know, you have less time to control yourself, but it's coming along. But what happened in the third quarter was he and Gobert kind of got into a flow. They started feeding Gobert again and their pick and roll action. They hit some threes and they climbed right back in the game pretty quick here in this third quarter. Rudy Gobert, what he got scratched in the eye. And so he was out for some time. And again, it was more Clarkson eating them up. He had 23 points in 32 minutes off the bench. He's he's a certified bucket, right? He's super quick, longer and bigger frame than maybe you'd think. And then he's got that gunner's mentality. So he may be their saving grace, picking him up midseason from Cleveland now without Bogdanovich. Looks like he's probably going to get 30 plus minutes a night in this bubble. The other thing that really allowed Utah to get back in this game, the Pelicans had 20 turnovers. And look, man, that's an Alvin Gentry calling card. Like he was, he was the assistant in Golden State, right? We know that he got the ring with Kerr. Before that, he was in Phoenix. And if you look at the history of his DNA as a coach, he always has a top 10, top five offense, but at the cost of being very turnover prone, it just goes hand in hand with him. And then defensively, look, it, Gentry is not, let's keep it buck. He's not known as a defensive coach, because when you look at the Pelicans personnel, I feel like they should be better defensively. I don't know about y'all, but you look at their wings in particular, Drew Holiday, you got Hart, who's a dog, right? You got Ingram, you got Lonzo, you have all these guys that on paper should be good perimeter defenders. I know they're kind of lacking rim protection. Hayes is a ways away and favors just, I don't know, man, I, I don't trust favors body holding up to be honest with you. But they shouldn't be this bad defensively. And again, I want to point a little bit to Gentry here. That's not his DNA as a coach. When has he ever coached a top defense? So there's some of that. And what it looks like to me is it reminds me, their defense reminds me of when you look at like a a, a football team that's very fast on defense, but they're undisciplined. And that speed almost works against them. And the opponent knows it. Like, look, they're fast, they're athletic, but they're over aggressive and they're not disciplined. So let's use that against them. And that's what I think you see teams do against this Pelicans defense where, again, these wings I'm name, naming, Holiday, Ingram, Lonzo, they're almost too aggressive on the perimeter. 
And so it ends up, they end up getting beat badly and then they don't have that backline rim protection. And you saw it late in the game. It got close, right? And Ingram bailed Mitchell out with, I think, like 50 seconds to go on a, on a foul where he really had nowhere to go. And Ingram, all he had to do was be tall, be big, but he's over aggressive. And then you saw him also, they're, they're running a high pick and roll almost at midcourt. Ingram shows super hard at midcourt rather than just dropping behind. And so a lot of it is is coachable. They need to be coached up. They need to know when to be aggressive. It seems like they get fired up and they and they they're giving effort. Effort doesn't seem to be the issue. It seems like it's over aggression from this young Pelicans team defensively. So it, it ends up Mitchell hits the free throws. Gobert gets some free throws there. And Utah all of a sudden finds themselves up too with, you know, 14 seconds on the clock or something like that. Gentry calls the timeout. I think we all knew it was going to go to Ingram. There, you know, whether he should take the final shot or not, some would probably say Drew, right, as the veteran. Reddick was coming off of, you know, a pin down. He looked like he might have been open, but I'll live with what Ingram took. Ingram took a little kind of sidestep Tatum three, and I'll live with it. It was a fine shot. Now, the storyline, I think, was, yo, Zion wasn't in the game late. Zion, Look, Zion played 15 minutes. He had 13 points and he was a minus 16. But he wasn't nowhere to be found at the end of that game. And people that are complaining and like, why wasn't Zion in there? Look, that speaks to how out of shape Zion is right now. You think Gentry didn't want Zion in the game? He couldn't be in the game. He was out of shape. And I'll be real with you, man. He he doesn't look nearly as explosive or bouncy. Now, whether that's just conditioning and he's just chilling and knowing he's not he's heavy right now, but there were a couple plays he just didn't have the same elevation. The couple lobs he caught, there was a play where he got smoked by Conley on the baseline and he didn't even get off the floor. Conley blew by him and flipped up a shot and Zion didn't even get off the floor to contest. So he's not in game shape. They played him. Probably more so, one, to try to work his way into shape, and two, so the media and everybody wasn't all over like, yo, Zion, look how big he is. He isn't playing what's going on, right? So he couldn't have been in there. You think Gentry wanted to hold him out. That wasn't that. But ultimately, look, that was a must-win game, like I started off saying, and for Utah to climb back and sneak that win out when we look back at how this plays out, this, these eight regular season games, these play-in games, it could be game one that ultimately does in this New Orleans team. Assuming the NBA kind of made these rules to try to let the Pelicans and Zion get in, well, Zion looks like he can't you know, get up and down the court, and the Pelicans may have blown their opportunity in game one, day one of the bubble. All right, let's get on to the main event, Lakers-Clippers. Now, heading into it, it had lost some of its luster because... We didn't know AD was going to play the eye scratch. Lou and Trez are, what, in quarantine. Was Beverly going to play? It seemed like both teams were going to be missing players, so we didn't know. Also, I think everybody was kind of iffy on how hard these two teams were going to play when they're kind of slotted where they're going to be. I guess Denver could catch the Clippers. The Clippers need to win quite a few of these play-in games or Denver could catch them and they could find themselves in the wrong bracket, right? But I think right away it was clear both these teams want to send a message, right? It, it, was, it was clear by the intensity from the tip, which I loved. And LeBron did his normal thing, feed AD early. I liked what Vogel did, putting Anthony Davis on Kawhi early and often. And a lot of times you see in scenarios that it, you kind of see the football strategy where if a team teams are playing and you know there's going to be a later matchup, 
in a more meaningful matchup, you you play it tight to the vest and you don't necessarily show what you're going to do. But here's the thing is it's no secret, right? You only have so many options. And then what Vogel is allowing Anthony Davis to do is learn Kawhi. Now, Kawhi is going to get his, especially the way he gets to the line. But whenever an offensive and defensive player match up against each other, the more you match up, the more the advantage goes to the defender because you learn their tendencies. Now, there's some matchups where it doesn't matter, right? The guys, the offensive talent is so much better. You can learn them all you want. He's going to give you buckets. But when you're dealing with Anthony Davis, perhaps a defensive player of the year, and again, Kawhi, you're not going to shut him down, but AD can learn him and learn his tendencies and learn to guard him better for these presumable future matchups, right? So the intensity was high right out the gate, and AD he tends to have big first quarters, and I think it's designed that way by LeBron. He comes out, he drops 14, right? And it feels like it feels like these games that they've played this year, they've had the same storyline. The Lakers come out seemingly the more hungry team and kind of pounce on the Clippers. And then slowly but surely, usually by the three ball, the Clippers climb their way back in. And that seems like what happened last night too, right? We did see Joakim Noah in place of Montrez, who, you know, that obviously Doc's rotation was greatly compromised. You're missing, what were they, it was a crazy ass number. They're missing 58 points off their bench or something crazy like that between Lou and Trez. That doesn't sound right. That That's too much. Maybe it was 51. But uh, so we saw our first look at Joe Kim. He looks like he's in good shape. And I think he could help in spot minutes. You consider against a Lakers team that can go so big, right? And then perhaps against a Denver team, or if you want to jump forward to a finals matchup, he could maybe get some minutes against the Bucks and the Lopez boys. So, you know, I, I the acquisitions that the Clippers made, that both these teams made, look like they're going to be... I don't want to say deciding factors. They're going to be, they're going to play a part. These 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 late ads in what happens in these playoffs, and that goes for Joakim. Uh, well, not so much Joakim, but Reggie Jackson. We're going to talk here about Waiters and Smith here in a second. Um, but I think the main story, unfortunately, about this game was the whistles. Right? It was it was kind of, it got kind of tough to watch, and. Look, every every time contact is drawn, that doesn't mean you got to blow a whistle. You, it, it really, it really, you know, you don't have to blow a whistle every time there's contact, right? But um, I also it crossed my mind that the, the they were calling it tightly because they wanted to protect the teams from themselves. Like that, the, it was everybody was so excited the basketball's back in this matchup. They didn't want it to get too physical and out of hand in, in essentially a meaningless game, like save it for the playoffs, boys. And so maybe they were just calling it real tight, real early to let them know, like, we're not going to let this game get physical. This isn't even a playoff game, worrying that it might get over physical, right? Lakers, you know, come out early and and, and take the lead. And then second quarter, J.R. Smith, he got a foul just for checking in the game. Y'all see that? J.R. got a foul just for checking in. First time back in the NBA. That was That was fitting, right? <clears throat> but JR wasn't the story, right? He only played seven minutes. It appears Waiters is way ahead in the depth charts, though, right? I'm going I'm to I'm call Dion Waiters Trader Joe's. Dude's got so much natural sauce, right? He, I mean, even if he looks like Riddick Bowe, he, he's, he's one of those guys that's basketball athletic, right? He looks husky. He looks undersized. You're like, all right, he's kind of springy. He looks strong. But... 
you put him on a basketball court with a ball and he's even more athletic than you expect. That move where he, he split he split the pick and roll and then a spin move finish. It was like, oh, wee, right? He's got that confidence and that swagger. And he looks like he's really going to help them, man. I, I know a lot of Laker fans were like, man, forget Rondo, right? Rondo shouldn't play when he comes back, right? Combine that with Caruso, who did his, his normal hustle thing, right? But is that not also a part of LeBron's value, right? Because I don't know how many teams you saw him. Miami was desperate to get rid of him. Memphis just flat out cut him. Not very many teams were comfortable bringing him in. And you look at the talent that he is. The reason the Lakers were, you could say it was out of desperation, but I think it's because LeBron. You can bring in a a street hooper, a guy with questionable character, and he's going to fall in line when he's playing with LeBron. And so that adds to LeBron's value when you just talk about roster construction. But you know what would be ironic is here's a here's a little backstory for some of you that may not know warrior fans you might be aware of this so jerry west is the mastermind of this clippers roster right the year that Dion waiters came out was the year the warriors drafted harrison barnes and it was well documented during the draft process remember jerry was our guy then right jerry west was he 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 was the guy that was bullish on clay thompson and some of our our great picks uh Loved Waiters. Waiters was the pick. He wanted Dion Waiters. Now, Waiters went third, right? Did he go third to Cleveland? Um, so they didn't have the opportunity to take him. But I remember a lot of people point to that as like that was Jerry West's mistake. Even though the Warriors never had the opportunity to make it, people were like, that's the one that I don't know why Jerry West loved Dion Waiters. So it would be ironic if Waiters joins this Lakers team and ultimately is the X factor against his Clippers team. But I'm getting ahead of myself here, right? So the Clippers, as the game goes on and the whistles pile up, man, Kawhi is rough to watch, bro. I know a lot of people maybe like to watch because he's such a unique robot. But I mean, he he's he's right there with Harden when you talk about just like stopping the play and, and drawing fouls. He is, man. But the Clippers climb back in it with the three ball, right? They hit 16 of them, 44% from behind the arc was the great equalizer. And then in the second half, Paul George comes out, and for whatever reason, the Lakers are letting him come down, rhythm step, pull up into threes. He hit three of them in a row where he came down like it's like you're in an open gym and you get to take the perfect, you know, left, right step right into your pull up three. So he's in rhythm and Vogel immediately stops things as the Clippers are right back in the game. And I think the most impressive thing with the Lakers this year, besides their just nightly consistency, has been the way they answer other teams' runs. They, they seemed, if you want to give Vogel, you got to give everybody the credit, right? We tend to just say, well, it's LeBron, like we treat him as the coach. But you got to give Vogel credit. When he calls a timeout to stop momentum, it works. And so the Lakers came right back out and answered it. Kuzma played very well, man. Kuz played well. Look, I think it was uh, Warriors World tweeted out, man, like, it was during when Ingram was balling in game one, right? He was like, a lot of y'all that were saying Kuzma was better than Ingram, is real quiet now, right? And it's like, I, I, I answer back, like, well, shit changes, right? When you feel a way about a player and then the, the young players develop and you might be wrong, right? And so at the time when that trade was made, right, initially, it felt like it was the right decision to keep Kuzma. And now in hindsight, it may look like, oh, well, maybe they should have kept Ingram. But fit is everything. Styles make fights, right? 
But I think part of the perception with Kyle Kuzma is, look, he had an injury-plagued season. He never got in shape. So there was some of that trying to adjust to this new team with Anthony Davis. But the other part of it is, is just his reputation his reputation online and in social media and the things he says off the court, he's a doofus, right? He starts coloring his hair and the way he dresses. That has actually negatively impacted, I think, fans' perception of how good of a player he could become, right? He's kind of a doofus. That being said, I think he's smart enough to understand his opportunity right now. And I think he's going to take advantage of it. Like the confidence, it's kind of goofy. Like he 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 reminds me of like when you're hooping at LA Fitness and and you and your squad gets the high school kid, right? You get the young kid. And you're like, okay, he can move good, right? He hits a bucket. Now all of a sudden he's calling for the ball. He's trying to ISO, right? He's trying to do a little too much. Look at me. He's good, but it's like, okay, calm down here. Calm down here. Know your role. So like I really don't have a problem with him acting like Jason Tatum in some ISO situations, just not down the stretch. Right. You, when you're in there with the second unit, second all, all the way up until, you know, six minutes left in the game, try to get your shit off. Right. And I, I don't have a problem with him also taking a weak side three in a big moment, just as long as he's not trying to wave LeBron off or go ISO down the stretch. I don't have a problem with it. So I was impressed. I was impressed with them defensively. That's that's what he should do. Use that that youthful exuberance and energy. And, and just be a pesk defensively. And that's what we saw uh, several times with him switched on Kawhi and, and just, just being a pesk out there as well as Caruso. Now, at some point in the second quarter, LeBron was like 2 of 11, 2 of 14 or something. He was not shooting the ball well at all. He really wasn't trying to shoot it. And it got me to thinking, like, what if LeBron is most affected by not having fans? Like we talk about the energy players and, and, and the atmosphere. What if it's LeBron that's most affected? And it, it would make perfect sense because who is most used to having all eyes on him? Who is most used to feeding off the crowd, feeding off the love, feeding off the hate? LeBron's been doing it since he was 15, 16 years old. And it's almost like, it was almost like last night now. Now you get him in a quiet gym amongst his peers and that bravado is gone. That confidence, at least with the shot, is kind of gone um, without the crowd. When there's a, a stadium full of people expecting to see LeBron James, the greatest player of this generation, that boosts his confidence and he feeds off of it. So maybe it'll be a little bit of adjustment for LeBron. But I don't know. Maybe that's just a wacky theory. Ultimately, you have to give him credit. I think a lot of his juice and his legs were being spent defensively. I can't remember the last time I saw him deep down in his stance that far away from the basket that often in a game. And Kawhi got by him a couple times. Does Kawhi only go left? Right? I, I mean, it's effective because he's so strong and he's so bullish and patient. But it seems like he only goes left. And Kawhi got him a couple times. But I'll tell you what. If LeBron is going to play this type of defense and let AD carry the offensive load, on his way to his fourth ring, whew, you know, I know, again, I know a lot of Warrior fans, a lot of y'all listening to me are Warrior fans and you don't want to hear it, but like, that would be crazy, right? If they, if they, if we see this Lakers Clippers series as we're anticipated and the Lakers come out of it and it's LeBron who defended Kawhi and Paul George and, and did it on the defensive end, right? At this age, that's a huge notch in his belt, but again, it's got to happen. But overall, look, the Lakers down the stretch pulled it off. LeBron 
What he he uh, got his own rebound, tipped it in. It was it was close. It was close. It was an entertaining game despite all the fouls and and how how much how many stoppages there were. But ultimately, without Montrez, without Lou Williams, you can't put too much stock into this. It completely blew up their rotation. And to be frank, the Lakers needed to win this game because if they didn't, it would just psychologically it would have been tough like for for them to handle. It's like look, the Clippers missing two of their key guys, and we still got you. Right, that's a bad look. So I thought it was important for the Lakers to pull it off. They did. AD was monstrous throughout. Hit a couple big threes down the stretch. But um, I'm just I'm just praying we get this matchup eventually, where they're healthy and we can really see what's what. An aging LeBron trying to dig in on those two prime wings. AD trying to really take that step into being truly reaching his potential and being elite. Man is. It's going to be bomb. Let's let's pray that we get it and we get it with a healthy rosters on both sides. Now, this was the first episode. It probably ran a little longer. I got to get used to this, get into a rhythm, but I hope you all enjoyed it. Again, you can subscribe, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes. This first episode, it might be on my original NBA Alchemy feed until I s- switch it over to its own podcast. Um, patrons, today at 1 p.m., we've got Memphis and Portland and so far is going to be the biggest game. Both those teams fighting for that eighth spot. Expect a big game breakdown of that either later tonight or first thing in the morning. I'm out, Joe. I've been winning so long, it's like alchemy.